Hello and welcome to Join the Food Fight, Libraries and Food Insecurity, a Team Vittles podcast. In today's episode, we will be talking with representatives from the Ohio Association of Food Banks, the Food Bank Inc. of Dayton, and the Fairborn Community Library about programs available through food banks and food pantries, as well as the exciting new e-pantry program. Today's episode was recorded January 7th, 2021. Thank you all for joining us here today. We have quite a crowd assembled for today's podcast. So let's go ahead and get started. We'll go around and introduce ourselves. I'm Shane Hoffman, the IT manager for the Plain City Public Library and a member of Team Vittles. Sarah? And I'm Sarah Schaff. I am the Discovery Librarian at Denison University and a member of Team Vittles. So Ann, I'll pass it on to you. I'm Ann Cooper. I'm the head librarian at the Fairborn Community Library, one of the locations in Greene County. Carol? Hi, I'm Carol Whitmer. I'm the Director of Grocery Procurement and Child Nutrition Initiatives with the Ohio Association of Food Banks. Okay, and our friends from the Food Bank, Inc. of Dayton. I'm, um, my name is Curtis Fields, and um, I am in charge of our e-pantry program, our SNAP outreach program, and also in charge of our uh, drive-through program as well. And my name is Katie Lee. I'm programs manager at the Food Bank, and I oversee uh, six uh, different programs, including the ones that Curtis leads. Did we skip you, Janet, or have you... <laughs> Yeah. No, you saved me for last in case people were flagging <laughs> on the idea of all of these rock stars in the same place and you need just one more. Um, anyway, I'm Janet Ingraham Dwyer. I'm the Youth Services Library Consultant at the State Library of Ohio, um, where I do many things, including encouraging and supporting libraries to um, participate in food distribution and in addressing food insecurity. And I guess I would call myself an honorary lifetime member of Team Vittles also. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with us. <laughs> to get started, uh, since not everybody is familiar with what Team Vittles is or how they got dragged into this podcast today, Team Vittles started out a couple years ago as a group of librarians intent on, I guess, evangelizing would be the word, that libraries do have the ability to participate in food insecurity program. Our original focus was getting the word out about the summer food service program and a little bit about after school meals in the fall. Uh, we have expanded a fair bit. We've embraced the concept of embedded librarianship where we encourage librarians not only to get involved with food programming at the library, but to look out into the community and see where partnerships can be formed to expand this out into our service area and beyond because the library isn't always the best place uh, for that programming. So we're just trying to kind of look out for each other in a broader sense that way. And that has led us to make a lot of good partnerships with uh, Children's Hunger Alliance, who we've done a couple of podcasts with. Uh, the Ohio Association of Food Banks, and now the Food Bank, Inc. in Dayton. I think where we were planning to start today, we talked with Carol some about the idea of giving libraries a 101-style course on what food pantries are, those differences between 
a food bank, a food pantry, and how libraries can participate with those groups. Carol? Okay, I'll give you a little bit of background about the Ohio Association of Food Bank. Um, we are we are the, I don't know if we say the lead organization, but we represent the 12 Feeding America food banks. All of our food banks belong to Feeding America, which is kind of the national organization of our food banks. And so we represent them getting food and funding and doing advocacy for them um, through the state of Ohio, mainly through the state of Ohio, but also nationally. So our main source of funding is through a grant through the state, through the state budget. Um, of which we purchase Ohio-grown agricultural products. We call, like to call them, they're products that maybe couldn't be sold on the open market, but there's nothing wrong with them. Maybe cosmetically challenged products, um, green peppers that uh, have a black spot on them, or um, maybe are the perfect pepper that you'd see at Whole Foods, but there's nothing wrong with them. Or maybe a lot of our farmers have contracts with grocery store chains they have to make you know, give them so many tomatoes, but there's an overrun, you know, they want to, they grow more than what they maybe can serve um, the local grocery store. So we'll buy those from them. We'll pay their packing and picking cost to make sure to get that food out of the field into people's people that need it instead of that food going and rotting in the field. So we have that program, which we, so we support Ohio agriculture. And we also have a shelf stable program, which I manage where we purchase um, shelf stable items through um, Ohio producers and also through other producers throughout the United States. Um, there are some things that aren't produced or grown in Ohio, for example, macaroni and cheese, but we do buy um, protein items such as eggs from Ohio farmers, ground beef, turkey sausage. So we support um, a lot of Ohio manufacturer and agricultural growers. So our 12 regional food banks are located throughout the state of Ohio, the big three, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, also Dayton, who are, is here today. But then we do have them in more rural areas like Logan, Ohio has a food bank, Toledo, West Ohio, which you can get on our, if you, if you can look online, because every county in Ohio is served by one of our food banks. So if you, there's a map on our um, website, ohiofoodbanks.org, and you can get on there and see who your regional food bank is by what county you live in. So our food banks support our member agency um, charities. So there's a food bank, which is kind of like the big warehouse. And then there's the food pantry, which is what a lot of people probably are more familiar with is their local food pantry. That may be in a church. Um, it could be at a community action. It could even be in a school. We now have food banks in schools and hopefully in libraries <laughs> eventually. The food pant, so that's more what people are probably used to knowing or seeing in their community, a place where people in need can go get food. There's also soup kitchens and then like congregate feedings could be like a community senior center, center feeding type thing. But the majority of our um, member agencies are food pantries. So if someone is in need of food, um, generally they need to call their local 211 number to find out where the nearest pantry is. A lot of pantries only serve certain zip codes. So they, um, they need to find out where the nearest one would be. So if they, there is usually a, um, a form they need to fill out when they go to a local food pantry, an eligibility to take home food form, which basically they have to just self-declare their income. 
just so people know that there is an, an income eligibility, but they don't have to bring a paid stub or anything like that to go to a food pantry. So as far as the need, I did want to touch a little bit on the need because during COVID, the need has gone up tremendously in, in Ohio. Um, just to give you a few statistics, last year, which would have been from July 1st to June 30th, 2020, um, we served two, just over 2.7 million pounds of food that we um, served to people in need. And this is up 17.8% over the fiscal year before that just to give you an idea of the need. And we've served roughly just over 15.6 more people were served. And of those people were senior citizens. There was about 350,000 senior citizen, senior citizens. Children make up about 30% of who we serve. And then adults make up about 50%. So it's, it's a range it's of all, all types of people in need in Ohio right now. Um, one thing that is happening more I, is that we're doing more direct distributions as far as the food banks themselves. Um, a lot of our pantries had to shut down at, during the pandemic, and I think some are coming back. But at first, um, there was a lot of our volunteers are seniors. So they're, they just were afraid to volunteer. It was not safe for them. When, and it still probably isn't safe for a lot of them to volunteer. So a lot of our food banks have um, gone to direct distributions where they're going to a big parking lot and people are pulling up and getting food. I think, I'm sure you've seen the TV broadcast uh, within the last month of people waiting in lines to get food. And it, it, that's going on in Ohio, not just in certain areas of the United States. Yes. How do libraries go about filling out any paperwork or are they eligible to shop at food banks for programs uh, where you're seeing a lot more libraries start up little free pantries and do more food programming? So can libraries participate with the food banks and the food pantries? Can they shop there? Other things? Maybe Dayton would like to kind of talk about that a little bit. Every food bank has different roles. Okay. Um, you do have to become what's called a member agency in order to go shop at the food bank. So you just can't like call and go. You have to, you have to become a member and you have, to, they have to come and, you know, make sure you're following the roles uh, that are set by the food bank. So. Yeah, that, that, that is, that's absolutely true. And I think one of the qualifying guidelines is you have to have a 501c um, purpose for distributing that food. So our member agencies that we deal with, uh, a little over a hundred of them, they are all set up with their own 501c3. So that's a, a qualifying guideline. And those are the quote unquote agencies that we work with to, to distribute our food. So we acquire it in the, in the warehouse and then through our member agencies, you know, primarily soup kitchens and the other types of entities that Carol's already mentioned, um, we push those out. We don't have any uh, libraries set up uh, with that status that we're partnering with. When Curtis talks a little bit later in the uh, podcast about uh, the unique e-pantry program, that's, that operates differently. Uh, it's not quite, the, it's not at all like our members, member agency uh, status. So did that answer your question? Did that answer your question, Shane? 
I think so. Uh, one question that I think will be a follow-up. Janet, uh, you may be able to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm thinking most libraries have a different tax-free status. It's not uh, the 501c3 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Do you know what, which right. designation that is? So li I, I don't know the number, but libraries are, um, libraries are a function of local government in Ohio. So all of the public libraries are not 501c3s. They ha have tax status because of their government status. Some libraries have an affiliated foundation or friends organization that might be uh -huh. a 501c3 for fundraising purposes for the library. And it, it may be possible for those organizations, depending on the kind of activities that they participate in to be sort of that liaison um, 501c3 organization. But mm -hmm. it's but in general, it sounds like the Food Bank Inc. of Dayton, if other food banks partner with organizations that are specifically 501c3 designations, then the library participation in this collaboration might not be as a partner organization, but might be as a supporting organization. Right. Yeah. And, and perhaps, I, I don't know, Katie may be able to answer, Carol, as to whether if there is a 501c3 partner organization that then uses their local library as a distribution point or something like that, would that be an arrangement that might work out? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, because one of the things I was thinking about partnering with libraries was if there was a big enough parking lot could that be a mass distribution area? So if you could partner with the Salvation Army, yeah, then they could distribute produce in your parking lot, you right. know, because everyone go, you know, as people come to the library, you know, everyone, you know, in the community goes there. So that, you know, you could work with your local partner to do some sort of those type of activities. Yeah, absolutely. What you're describing our mobile pantry program, so that wouldn't bind, that wouldn't have the same uh, binding guidelines. It would be a matter of us uh, just bringing our food in our truck to your location where we handle the distribution from start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like uh, if I can step in, what we're doing in Fairborn might explain how we're handling some of this partnership. So. Gosh, I think it was in spring of uh, almost two years ago that uh, I was contacted by Lee Truesdale from the Dayton Food Bank about being a uh, test site for a new food distribution system that had been happening in Madison, Wisconsin, in Chicago, and they wanted to give it a try here. Um, I was very excited about it because I knew that our community would appreciate this kind of a service. At that time, it was called Helpful Harvest. Um, it's now called Pantry Pickup, and um, it was just getting started. So it was um, fun for me to work with uh, Colette Looney, who was my contact at that time. She was here prior to Curtis coming on board. And um, the concept is that there is a website and that people can create an account on this website. They don't have to prove anything. They, don't, they just have to say, yeah, I need this and uh, they can shop. It's a limited shopping list, but they can fill a cart with items that they would like to have. Um, and they're given a particular location for pickup and time. Uh, and they come to that location and they're handed their box of groceries and that's it. Very simple, very clean, um, very simple. I liked it because we could help with the things we're good at, which is sharing information 
and we have a parking lot which actually belongs to the city and the city was fine with us doing this. And patrons like it because there's some uh, privacy about it. Uh, they don't have to come and tell the librarian that they need help. They, they can just do it. Um, the first month that we had a pickup scheduled was in July of 2019. And they had planned for about 20 people, um, but got such a strong response during that first month that they had to extend it to 30. Um, so they had close to 30 people. I think there were a couple that did not show up to pick up their food at that time. There was probably just some confusion on their part. I um, mean, those unclaimed groceries actually went home with a staff member here at the library. So nothing was wasted. It's been extremely easy for me to say yes to. Um, it's very self-sustaining, very self-sufficient. It's very discreet. It doesn't happen inside the building. So people don't know, you know, it's, it's just really nice that way. And it works well because our pickup times are in the evenings. And frankly, a lot of the people who need this kind of resource right now are working. Mm -hmm. So it can be an after work thing for them to do. A quick question. Yes. On that, you're talking about how it's discreet and they don't have to talk to the librarian. How is the how is the pickup handled then? The librarians do not distribute the food. The food bank comes with a vehicle that they park in the lot, and it's clearly identified as what it is. And they open their trunk or the back of the van, and um, the the people who are coming to pick up food are told where to go and at what time. And they just pull into our parking lot, which is not so big that you're going to get lost. And they find who they're looking for and go home with their groceries. Okay. So it's it's not a matter of the food bank doesn't just drop this stuff off and nope. it's there for the rest of your hours that night nope. or whatever. Okay. Nope. No, there's really no imposition on the library whatsoever. Um, what our role is, we have a sort of standing display with information about it. It is so simple. Every librarian will say, oh, yeah, we do displays like that. It's just um, a collection of books having to do with food. And there's the flyer from Pantry Pickup. It says, concerned your groceries won't get you through the month. And then step, 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 here's what you do. Um, we made these incredibly inelegant little bookmarks that have the web address and some basic information to tuck into these books. And we refill that display every day. Um, so people are finding out about it that way and um, seem to be appreciating it. So that's, that's how it's been working. We are really happy to continue with this process. I would, if any other libraries decide that they would like to uh, give it a try, I would encourage them to do so. Um, give us a call if you have questions or you'd like to know how we are working on it. Uh, it's, it's been a very effective program, we think. So has the need gone up since COVID? Have you had more? Uh, yes, our orders actually have kind of fluctuated since COVID. Um, usually about one day of the month, one day of the sites, I'll go to separate sites uh, two times a week. And uh, the numbers really fluctuate. So one day of the week, we'll have upwards from 20, 25. Next time we'll have like maybe five. With honestly seeing a low number, it, in theory, it sounds bad, but it's actually really nice to see low numbers because that means the food's not, you know, people aren't really in that much need of that. So if I see low numbers, I'm, I'm actually kind of happy to see that, you know, especially during times like these. If, you know, you get one day where they're low, it's a pretty good sign. With this program, is the e-pantry in 
uh, general availability? Is it still kind of a beta or is there a wait, uh, a wait until it's rolled out generally speaking? Um, it's still kind of fluctuating. Um, you know, they're always doing constant changes because um, it's still not perfect by all means. But right now they're kind of at a steady pace of it. You know, like Ann said earlier, they're constantly changing the names of it. Websites always getting redone. You know, different guidelines are getting put in and out. But um, I think here soon, probably within the next year, it'll probably be a steady program and we'll have everything figured out. I know that also um, we are doing some hunger mapping um, we're going to be looking at data in the about the next uh, month or so. That data will be available to us, uh, and then that might dictate further growth of the program. But for us, in a program standpoint, it's a really important program, and and Anne touched on the reasons why it is filling a gap. We we certainly have a number of ways that folks can get food during the workday. They can visit a soup kitchen, a food pantry. They can come to our food bank. They could visit one of our mobile pantry distributions. However, for uh, working families, that just does not work for them. So this e-pantry, pantry pickup program is, um, fills that vital uh, need. And so for working families who can't get to any place during the day, these are scheduled after hours. That's how we run the program, whether we're working with a library uh, like Fairborn or um, other organizations. And Anne touched on this too. The, the, I think one of the values of this program um, that she's witnessed is uh, it promotes a feeling of empowerment. Uh, it also helps diminish the social stigma uh, that's often experienced by people who, who visit or stand in a food line. So it's akin to Kroger ClickList. It's discreet. Uh, as Ann pointed out, they can, do, they can order their groceries um, from uh, our inventory list. And um, we're very grateful for Fairborn Library and our other partners because I think it's important and I expect this program to grow. Is it currently only available through uh, the Food Bank Inc. in Dayton, or are some of the other regional food banks participating now? Um, I believe in Ohio, we're the only one doing it, um, but I do know um, Michigan and Chicago, those two places as well, have had the picture program. And on my last meeting with Feeding America, I believe they said there's a couple more states showing interest in this program. So, of course, here soon we'll probably have a couple more states participating as well. Is this something that uh, libraries could talk to their regional food pantry if they're out of your region to get involved with? Or is, are they waiting for invites from Feeding America to participate? From my understanding, this was kind of a pilot thing that Feeding America had started. So I'm guessing that they will try and um, push it out more there as um, they see how successful it is. I mean, if you have a good relationship with your, already have a relationship with a food bank or a food pantry in your area, I would just have a discussion with them. You know, it, it can't hurt if that's something you really want to do. And, and maybe you can figure out some way to partner, whether it would be as a distribution point or even helping, um, we, we do a lot of SNAP outreach um, or you know just talking to, if you have a client that you see needs help, it's, you know, then you would know who to 
point them towards for a food pantry or food bank. So, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is to have a discussion. Maybe I can mention a couple of other um, food uh, distribution connections we have at the Fairborn Library. Uh, for a long time, we've had what we call the, the food barrel. Uh, it's a big green tub and it's marked as such and people can come in and put food in there at any time, but those are donations. And we call the food pantry, the, the fish food pantry here in Fairborn when it's full and they come pick it up and it's distributed. Many libraries also have, as we do, an annual food for fines program. So for us, it's typically in the month of February. And during that time, people can bring in canned goods or non-perishable items and um, use those in exchange to reduce the overdue fines. That's, that's gonna be a little trickier for us now because we haven't been charging overdue fines for about a year. <laughs> so, but people do still manage to rack them up somehow. You know, that, that's one option. We also have a relationship with the local schools and uh, they contacted us several years ago and said, asked if we would be a distribution site for lunches during the summer. And we said, yes. Um, and then they added snacks to that during the summer. So uh, five days a week for a couple of months during the summer in a normal year, uh, we incorporate those into some youth programs that we're already offering. Um, and then during those programs, we could promote the pantry pickup program as well. So there are lots of opportunities. We have been, the idea has been floated about um, erecting a little free pantry outside our building, but we already have these multiple ways of interacting with our local food bank. So we're still considering that, but haven't moved forward on it yet. I know in other communities, they've been very popular they tend to require some management that you have to plan for that. And may I comment? I have a couple of things that I want to say. First of all, you're, you are doing so much and it's amazing what I've just heard you talk about. It's amazing. And it is all activities that are replicable in other libraries, yes. and, which is very exciting. I I lost track of, oh, Food for Fines in particular is, a, it's a popular and wonderful program that many libraries are doing, although you did point out something that has, that is kind of an interesting side effect of a very intriguing trend in libraries to get rid of overdue fines altogether. And when you no longer charge overdue fines, then there's really no point to your Food for Fines program, but perhaps a library could still do a food drive and figure out some other way to sure to make it work. People will be happy to donate food, whether or not they're paying off their library fines. Mm -hmm. Something that Katie had said earlier about scheduling after hours pickup, when I have been thinking about library parking lots and how it might be a hard sell for many libraries that are very protective of their parking lots because their parking lots might not be very large and they're needed for the library patrons and for the drive up and for curbside pickup at the moment and so forth. But libraries also are a source of Wi-Fi for the community. And during the pandemic, many libraries have been um, very intentional about making sure that their Wi-Fi radius extends out into their parking lot so that people who might not have access to the internet, but they've got kids who need to do homework or otherwise need to have internet access can come and use the library's parking lot after hours. And this is making me think of the otherwise unused during non-library hours parking lot as a whole community 
benefit that food can be distributed when the library is not open, which seems like a very low bar for a library to, they just need to be able to say, yes, you can use my parking lot. Um, a little free pantry may be established and people can come and use the Wi-Fi and grab something or leave something if they have something to leave. Janet, I'll just mention that these distributions don't take long. Uh, Curtis, would you say about an hour? Yeah, that, you, uh -huh. that you're here. About an yeah. hour, so, an hour yeah. 15. Yeah, so that's, um, even if your parking lot is small, uh, if you're like many public libraries, it's a little less busy in the evening and you can probably spare that one parking spot with some people coming and going for an hour and a half or so. So I, again, I think there just are few obstacles to participation with this. Leads me back into some other things we're talking about having uh, the food pickup uh, park there. And we were talking about uh, some of the other programs that the various food banks have. I was wondering if we could start talking a little bit more about some of the things like the mobile farmer's market, the mobile pantry, how those work and how libraries could get involved with those. So um, at the Food Bank Inc, we, we have a, a mobile pantry, a mobile farmer's market, and we go to about uh, 18 different distribution sites. Prior to the pandemic, it was closer to 26. And we don't presently go to any library sites. Usually it's a, a large public venue, a community college parking lot. Um, and our, our, our sites are usually uh, decided upon based on data of where, where, where folks don't have access to a pantry uh, or there's limited pantries in the area or they're located in a food desert. Those are largely part of the decision-making process in determining where we put that mobile market. But uh, it's not to say that uh, we couldn't or wouldn't you know, partner with a, a library for that purpose uh, if, there, you know, if there was a need to do so. There's nothing that would prohibit us from doing that. Okay. And I'd like to say that Dayton only covers a few counties, three, am I correct? Yeah. We have some like the Mid Ohio Food Bank in Columbus that cover 18 counties all the way from Columbus all the way out to the West Virginia border, you know, Steubenville area. So there are some counties I'm thinking like Monroe County in Ohio that is really rural, that the parking lot in the library may be one of the bigger places in some of the mm -hmm. towns mm -hmm. and may be a perfect spot for a distribution because it's one of the places where everyone may be going or coming in from out of, from the rural area into town. And that's part of the reason why a lot of those are really good places for summer food service sites could be a combination of a mobile food pantry and, you know, when the kids are coming in for the meal for reading or something like that, mm -hmm. the reading day. So, I mean, that's an option. And um, the majority of our food banks do have some sort of mobile um, van or something that they bring food out and distribute. So, or if it's not the food bank, there are larger food pantries in the area that do that as well. So it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, would that be an option for some smaller areas? I'm thinking I'm in a fairly rural area. Yeah. We're just outside of Columbus, but we've also got some very rural areas. And we've got some small communities that are 
just far enough out and have transportation issues that make it difficult for them to come in to the pantry we have in town. They're like 20 minutes out. We try to set up uh, summer food service programs out there. But if there was a way to get something to help the adults out there as well, is it something that happens where we can get like a mobile food pantry or something in those smaller communities? Because I know you were talking about needing the large parking space. Is there a smaller rural equivalent for that program? It would depend on food bank by food bank, but yeah, there, there could be. And it could be something where they do a, a smaller distribution. A lot of our um, food banks do produce distributions that coincide with the summer food service program on those days. And so the parents can get produce for, the, for their cells and for the kids to, for the week when they um, come in, when they come to get their meals. And Carol, piggybacking on that, aren't there some food banks that do um, backpack programs and what we would think of as weekend programs that kind of complement a lot of these as well? Yes, most of our food banks do some sort of backpack program, but it depends on it depends on who they're partnering with in, in the food bank. Now, the, the Ohio Association of Food Bank does partner with the Governor's Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives. And we do do a summer um, weekend meal program where we partner with summer food service sites. Um, most of those sites are in more rural communities where people might not have access to a food pantry or um, those type of services where there might not be public transportation for them to access a lot of programs. So um, on the weekends, the kids do get a bag of food to take home for the weekend. And that program was uh, not run last year, but it will be run this summer. And we also do a rural meal delivery program for those rural areas where there are no summer food service sites. That is also in partner with the governor's office. Um, and that box of food is either taken out to the family or um, the families um, can pick it up one day during the week. And that would be 11 meals that they are missing because they don't have access to a summer food service site. So a lot of libraries are already partnering um, and passing out those bags of food on the weekends. So I don't know if Dayton has a, do you currently do a school year backpack program? We do. So um, we have a backpack pr uh, program that operates during the school year. Um, and we don't uh, do any service, obviously, over the summer. And it's as you described, right? So we're primarily in Montgomery County uh, with that. And we have a couple of schools located in Greene County that partner with us on that. It's been really challenging, of course, during this time of pandemic. It was completely shut down last February. And we have resumed, but Many of the schools here, just like across the nation, I suppose, many of the schools in our area are either hybrid in turn, right? Uh, some of them are still completely virtual. So it's been a challenge. It's been discouraging knowing that we're not able to build our capacity for these kiddos the way that we would like. But we have some, uh, we're working with a lot of dedicated schools who are taking their own initiative, staying in the program, and taking the, through their own initiative, delivering those backpacks to the residences of the, the students who need it the most. Uh, but it is, the one thing about the backpack program, it does, it does help. It doesn't, it doesn't completely fill the need of 
food insecurity in that home. So we might have be able to produce a small bag of food for that uh, child to take home and to get them through the weekend. But that child might have two or three siblings and it's just kind of enough to help them get through. So it does help, um, but it probably doesn't fill the, the greater need for that family. The things I'm thinking of here is that a lot of the rural libraries are smaller and stretched fairly thin. Mm -hmm. uh, I was wondering, Carol, if you could tell us a little bit about the VISTA volunteers that might be able to help libraries get started in these programs. Um, there are VISTA opportunities available for both summer and also for year-long opportunities. And um, you could also go to our website and they would have those openings posted. Or actually, if you were interested in serving, they would have those opportunities posted. If you're interested in actually hosting a VISTA, you could contact me and I could get you in touch with the person within our office that runs that program. So um, there's two opportunities there. Someone that's interested in serving could go to our website and, um, and look to see what opportunities might be in their area. Or if you're interested in hosting either a year-long VISTA or we are currently actually accepting applications for um, people to serve in the summer. That application just went out, was that yesterday or the day before? Mm -hmm. um, so that deadline is coming up. So um, I can get you in touch with the person, our program manager for that. Oh, okay, I just went and looked. The deadline okay. to sign up for a VISTA volunteer is, it looks like, February 5th. Okay. I think that's just for the summer. Mm -hmm. uh, learn more and submit your host site application by February 5th, 2021. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think I quite explained what a VISTA volunteer does. Uh, what Amer It's AmeriCorps VISTA program, and what they do is they what they could go into a library and help you set up a program. Say you do want to set up a food pantry. They could help you set up a, a food pantry. And usually they either serve for a year or the summer time they serve for 10 weeks. So the summer ones are mainly concentrated towards um, summer food. So they can do anything from serve the food to um, go around the community, knock on doors to promote the program. Um, the year-long is more of a program management or program development type. Um, so they, some of them help set up community gar gardens. They help fundraise for nonprofits. So it is a, and it's mostly, it's not all younger people, but a lot of them are recent college graduates that have a lot of energy um, and want to learn and uh, want to really contribute. So it's a year-long service. They're not doing it for the money. Um, it's uh, either help people, pay, you know, get some money towards student loans or they get a stipend for the year. So it's not, you know, no one's getting rich by doing VISTA, but they are getting a lot of val valuable experience. So just to kind of give you a little bit more about what it does. So there are, um, there is an application to fill out if you want to serve or to have someone serve um, in your, in your organization. So that get, is a little bit more about what that actually is. Carol, is it uh, reasonable to say that if you were working with a VISTA intern or volunteer that you would be helping define the scope of their activities and they're not coming with a project in mind, they're going no. to work with you on the project you need to have. You have to have a project in mind for what they need to do and you have to fill out a pretty detailed list of what activities they would be doing and you know who would be supervising them. And you know, it's a kind of like a 
a win-win for everybody because they're getting experience and you're getting help. So uh, yeah, you, you have to come up with a project concept. Got it. The URL uh, for more information on that is ohiofoodbanks.org slash recruitment. All right, one more program I remember is the Senior Box program that happens at some of the regional pantries. That seems like a good way for libraries and their outreach departments and homebound services departments uh, to get involved. Can anyone tell us a little more about the Senior Box program? I oversee the, uh, the Commodity Supplemental Food Program, uh, CSFP, more commonly known as the Senior Box Program. Um, we operate that, administer that here at the food bank, and we have about 17 different sites. The distribution and management of that is a little unique depending on the site that we're working with. Uh, we don't presently distribute or partner with any libraries, but again, not to say that, that we couldn't, but uh, the libraries could be very helpful in the uh, distribution of the applications uh, because it is a federally funded program. There is an application and qualification guidelines for that program to be eligible. Basically, it's... Uh, based on age and income uh, eligibility. Again, it's self-declaration. They don't have to provide any income data to us. But we could distribute from the library. Having the library manage the distribution might be a bit of an undertaking for the library staff. I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure if, if they would have the resources to do that, but in terms of locations and identifying, helping identify the client base, the libraries could be could be very helpful to us in that partnership relationship. Is that uh, application, would that be a paper form that could just be tucked into things that are delivered through our outreach program? Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's just a paper form, and um, and in fact, uh, we could uh, work with Curtis. He could bring those, or he could tuck those. He could bring those to you if you wanted a supply there at your library, um, uh, and then uh, that that could help us. You know, especially in Greene County, and uh, we there is there are some serious gaps that we're looking to fill, and that could be. Uh, very helpful to us. That That is actually another really nice low-hanging fruit sort of way for libraries to participate in general because many, many libraries have book delivery programs for people who are unable to come to the library, typically called homebound delivery programs. And simply including a flyer or some kind of information about the availability of food to the same populations that they're delivering books to, because there may be some subset of people who are receiving library books who don't know what their other options are. Um, that might be a good opportunity for libraries to put a toe into the water of helping with food insecurity. I agree with what you're saying, Janet. And Anne, it reminds me when you were talking about your displays and your bookmarks, all of those things are easily incorporated to our our existing services. And so it's not like we need a dedicated staff member to, to roll out some of these programs. It's a little more encouraging when we're just getting started. Absolutely. And um, when patrons 
do have questions. Initially, we thought, oh, we're going to train people how to log on to these websites and how to do this. You know, it just becomes another reference question. Somebody comes to the desk and says, what's this about? And it's just like all the other reference service that we provide. So easy to, easy to stir that into our midst. I was going through the list of uh, topics uh, we were looking at for today. And I remember hearing it mentioned a little bit uh, previously, the 211 service. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little more about that and how that pertains to what we're talking about today. I can start with that. Most communities have a 211 like help helpline um, within their community, and you have most of them require you to call that 211 line to make an appointment at a food pantry. But there's also 211, I think varies by community to community, but you can call to find out about um, SNAP or food stamps, SNAP or food stamps, um, heat, home energy, um, assistance. Uh, a lot of the 211 lines have all kinds of information about um, ways and community resources. So it's not just about food, it's about help, you know, help, how to help you with your utilities, rent assistance, a lot of different things. So it's an awesome resource. Uh, a lot of them have flyers and you know, things you can put out um, because if you are, I could be wrong on this, it's been a while since I had to call um, I believe if you're not calling from a landline, if you're calling from your cell, it's a different number in a lot of communities. So um, it's good to have the different numbers available for people. I don't know if Dayton has anything to add to that. Uh, no, we don't have anything to add to that. That is a, a common referral point for our clients is 211. And I think you've described it accurately as it works here in the Dayton area. Yeah, and to answer that from a boots on the ground perspective, Shane, I'm east of Columbus in a more rural area. And on in our community, 211 will connect you to a group that literally has a binder of resources. So it's really similar, going back to your reference um, example, and it's really similar to what we used to have at a reference desk to just say, here's what's there in the community. And it's it's everything from heating assistance, utilities, to battered women's shelters, to you know the local homeless shelters, to the food banks, to the, the really granular local food pantries, all of the services are in there. So yeah, it's a great, it varies by community, but it's a really great resource and kind of one-stop shopping. So a lot of our patrons, when they first are presented with a system where they could, or a situation where they need 211, it's kind of great because they have one place to go and then they can branch out from there and get help from different agencies. I've exhausted the number of programs that I at least knew their names, if not just a little <laughs> bit more, enough to ask a couple of questions. Does anybody else have anything they wanted to share? If nobody has anything else, I want to thank everyone for joining us and providing all of this information that we can share with librarians and other groups uh, throughout the state. I know uh, I've been sharing all of this information as fast as I get it with everyone, and hopefully they'll be knocking on your doors real soon. Thanks, Shane, and uh, thanks to the Food Bank of Dayton for approaching Fairborn Library with this idea. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm really happy to be a participant in this, so thanks for thinking of us. Thank you, Anne, for your collaboration with this. Mm -hmm. And without you, the ePantry program couldn't be as successful as it is today. You know, you librarians are the people who help spread the word and keep the information up and alive is the reason why we can do what we do. 
Hey, thanks, Shane. Appreciate it. All right. Good to see everybody. It's great to see everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you. You too. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. To find out more about Team Vittles and how you can join the food fight, check us out on the web at teamvittles.org. Check out our podcast at teamvittles.podbean.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Theme music for our podcast is Peanut Butter and Jam by Illogical Bit, who can be found on soundcloud.com slash illogicalbit, music promoted by www.free-stock-music.com, Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported.